0: And uh, we had our family Thanksgiving football game, the Buster Bowl, and I'm still sore from that. And so hopefully I'm going to make it through this service today. But uh, we've got rivalry weekend behind us, and it's December 1st. So that means one thing is that the countdown has officially begun. We are marching towards Christmas, and I know that stresses so many of you out. And some of you just feel the rush already. You're like, would you please hurry up, Wes? I've got things to do. People to see, cards to send, gifts to buy, things to cook, and I'll go as quickly as I can, but uh, you're just going to have to bear with me here. But I hope during this season of hustle and bustle, you pause to really experience and to reflect on what this season is to be about. Advent is to be a season of hope, of joy, of love, and peace, and may it be so in your home over the next several weeks along with all that other stuff that we deal with. But we're beginning our Christmas series this week that uses the themes of Advent to help us prepare room in our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I really love this time of year. I know most of you know that. And I particularly like preaching on this true tall tale of the coming of Jesus into this world. So uh, we're going to just go there in our minds right now as we just kind of turn back the dial of time uh, to that season of history where Jesus entered the world. It was the dark days of, uh, for the, uh, the Hebrews um, that were living in what was known in the Roman Empire as the land of Palestine. And the Holy Spirit had ceased any obvious activity for four centuries. So that's 400 years of silence where heaven was not speaking. This morning in my quiet time, I was in Psalm 109 and verse 1 says God of my praise do not be silent and I just penciled in the margin some of the most deafening noise from heaven is God's silence and I know some of you have experienced that. So 400 years and God has not spoken the last words God had spoken came from the prophet Malachi and his last two verses of the book chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 where it says behold I'm going to send to you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with the curse. So with that, the people were waiting on the arrival of a prophet like Elijah. I'm just not sure they expected to still be waiting 400 years later. I imagine that many people started reflecting back on the good old days, in the day of the law and the prophets, and that was kind of the high mark when they looked back, or some were just looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, that messianic age, that great and terrible day of the Lord, because they didn't want to live in the present, because the present was just filled with doom, gloom, and despair. And perhaps... It was not much different than some of you think of when you consider this age that we live in today. Because some people think, you know, when will God come back to wrap all this up? When will he come to put an end to this foolishness? And some of you reflect back on a period of time that you think of as the good old days when everything was much better than it is today. And maybe it's hard to have hope in an era of history where we deal with the present circumstances we face. Well, that's how it was when god begins to move again among his people and luke captures the story for us but before he tells us about the coming the birth of the messiah he has to tell us about the birth of the prophet john the baptist first and the story takes place in the land of judea Uh, the king over the land is herod the great he is a great soldier a great orator he's a great builder When you tour through the Holy Land and you visit that temple in Jerusalem, many of the renovations to that second temple were under his leadership. So that western wall, the wailing wall, that retaining wall that's there, that's part of uh, his influence over that great temple. But he was also a tyrant. He had at least one of his wives killed. He had several of his sons killed. We know that he had many boys, children, toddlers, infants in Bethlehem killed when he heard about the birth of Jesus. One of the themes in the book of Luke is do not fear. And Herod is this character who is full of more fear than anybody else. He's absolutely paranoid. That's why he has his family members killed. That's why he goes and has them killed in Bethlehem. And that's also why he goes on this building frenzy. He's building these fortresses. So that famous Masada, that's that's a result of Herod because he's paranoid. What if they attack? Where will I go? So he's totally paranoid. So we have Herod, king, this tyrant, as king over Judea. And all of the spiritual leaders of Judea are shackled by tradition and corruption. And this is how we enter into the story of the dark days among the Hebrews, which is recorded in Luke 1. And the first thing you discover when you look at Luke 1 is that no matter how dark it is, God still has a remnant people. And Luke begins to focus his attention on this one priest, his name is Zecharias, one priest among many, who is married to Elizabeth, faithfully obeying God in the face of rampant corruption. They're an old couple steeped in Jewish tradition. They did their best to adhere to the law and they were looking with anticipation for God to move again. And their only sadness, which was a great sadness, is that they were childless. They were old and childless. And it's with this backdrop that God begins to move in a special way, shattering the status quo that had settled among the the Hebrews. It's the dawning of something new that's going to be a high mark for all of history. So look with me at Luke 1. I'm going to read to you verses 8 through the first part of verse 13. Now it happened that while he was performing the priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, He was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. After 400 years of silence... God announces the coming of a prophet who would serve as the forerunner to the coming of the Messiah. And what I hope this morning is that you will hear today is that God counters human despair with messages of hope. So how does he deliver that hope to us? Well, God extends his hope through divine comfort, through prayer, and through his sovereign control. And so we're going to look first at hope through God's divine comfort. As a priest among the Jews, Zechariah served as part of a division of priests who shared the responsibilities twice a year to go into the temple and to perform the priestly duties there. So during one of these two weeks of his active duty at the temple, he is there in Jerusalem and by lot he is selected to be the one who would go in on, this happened twice a day, but he would go in to offer the incense offering. Now, this was a real honor for any of the priests. It was considered to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience, maybe twice if you were fortunate. And so, Zechariah would have the responsibility to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up the holy smoke from the uh, burning of the incense, which was symbolic of the prayers of the people going up before God in his temple. And Luke tells us that at the exact moment that this offering is to be made, the people by tradition are praying outside of the Holy of Holies there. And this um, I think it's worth pointing out that God often speaks to his people and calls to them when they're busy with other tasks. Think about it. When God, When Moses found the burning bush, he was on the other side of the mountain because he was tending sheep. So he was doing some other tasks. David was out tending sheep when Samuel comes to anoint him as the next king. Gideon is threshing wheat on the threshing floor when the angel of the Lord appears to him. Peter and the other disciples, some of them, are mending nets when Jesus walks by and calls to them to come follow him. See, Zacharias did not go into the Holy of Holies seeking an answer from God. He is simply fulfilling his priestly duty. He's doing what he is responsible for to do and it's here that God all of a sudden interrupts him now maybe he had the need on his mind because here he is going into the Holy of Holies so perhaps he's aware of all of these things but Zacharias was there only to do what he was responsible to do as a priest one commentator said it's difficult to steer a car when the engine is not running in other words God directs us as we are busy with what we are supposed to be doing I think many times we are tempted to just check out, to sit still, to stop and wait till we hear what God wants us to do or we discover what might be next for us. I would say that idleness is rarely, if ever, the proper way to seek God. So here's Zacharias burning incense in the Holy of Holies. The people were praying outside of there. Verse 11 says, and an angel of the Lord appeared. Now, the angel of the Lord is a phrase that you see repeated throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament. And very often, the angel of the Lord, many believe, refers to God himself. So God himself appeared, but he's called the angel of the Lord. But in this particular instance, we know this is not the Lord showing up. This is one of his messengers. This is one of his angels. Appearing in the Holy of Holies to interact with Zacharias. Now, angels figure very... um, Uh, in a very important way in Luke's gospel. They appear about 23 times throughout his gospel. We see it in the birth announcements for John the Baptist. Of course, we see it in the birth announcement for um, Jesus to Mary and to others. And they're a key part of this season of Advent. And as we focus on this Christmas season over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the angelic messages that Luke records for us during this Advent story. So next week, we'll look at the angelic message that's delivered to Mary. And then the week following that, we'll look at the angelic message delivered to the shepherds. And then the following week, we will look at that message when the heavenly hosts gather together and sing there um, above the shepherds. So there's 23 references to the angels in Luke's gospel alone. But there are only two angels that are ever named in all of Scripture. We have Michael the archangel, and we have Gabriel. And Gabriel is the one who is here in the Holy of Holies was Zacharias so he's burning this incense in the holy of holies and then all of a sudden one of God's messenger angels appears to the right of the altar of incense I love how specific it is and of course it startles him because if there's anything you could expect to find in the holy of holies it would be solitude there would be no one just wandering around inside Only one priest at a time would go in to serve the Lord there in the Holy of Holies. So here he is, and he's confronted by a guest. And it's not just any guest, it's not just a person, it's an angel of the Lord. And uh, angels were not chubby little creatures that make you smile. This would be a warrior angel, it would be very startling, for even the most confident person in God. And so you have to think that Zacharias might have thought, is God bringing divine judgment right now? Have I defiled the holy of holies and I'm about to be struck down in some way? I'm sure he's thinking, did I do the ritual washing? What is this angel doing here? Immediately the angel puts Zacharias at ease saying, do not be afraid. I want you to think about that. The first words from heaven after 400 years of silence are fear not. Is that not the most gracious and kind hearted thing that the lord could deliver to a world that is filled with despair and fear do not fear you know we're prone to believe that the message from heaven towards us is just one of judgment and condemnation now don't get me wrong god is a righteous judge but we know because we see it in the person of jesus the way that god looks at us is with eyes filled with mercy, with a heart filled with grace towards us. The message from heaven in our season of despair is fear not. A year and a half ago I visited Israel as part of a trip that was educational and uh, advocacy uh, related and we visited several places and heard from different speakers that you might not visit or hear from on a typical Holy Land tour. And so one day, we went down to the southwest part of Israel to the city of Sderot. This is uh, within a mile of the Gaza Strip. So this is one of those cities that is on high alert very often because of the reality of rocket fire that might be coming across the border from the Gaza Strip. In fact, earlier this past month in November, I, I read the news that uh, when all the rockets were flying into Israel, that one of them hit a home in Sderot, uh, Israel. Eight of them that were aimed for the city were intercepted by the Iron Dome. One fell there in Sarot but in uninhabited land. Um, So this is a place that when the siren sounds, it's very serious because that's how close they are to the border. Well, we were there meeting with a rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel Bowman. He is with Operation Life Shield. This is an organization that raises money to uh, build uh, shelters in regions like this, particularly on public lands because in a place like Sarot, There were bomb shelters attached to every, uh, above ground bomb shelters attached to nearly every home, because that's the reality. In the middle of the night, you've got to go into the closet just like you might have a cellar in a tornado alley. But they raise money for public lands because if you're on the playground and the siren sounds, you have seconds to take cover or to put it behind bus stops or outside of public places. And so Rabbi Bowman spoke to us about this command that's repeated throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, but it's this same uh, imperative command that Gabriel gives to Zacharias. Do not fear. Well, Rabbi Bowman said, he's wrestled with that command, trying to figure out how do you command somebody not to be afraid? Because in the face of real terror, how do you tell somebody don't be afraid and he said his response he learned is in a place like this a region of Israel very close to the Gaza border is that you are able to not fear because of systems that are there to protect you so the uh, the iron dome the siren sounding but also these places of refuge where you could go and you knew you were safe so he said because of those things somebody could live here and not live in constant fear Well, in times of fear, or in times of despair, excuse me, there are real reasons for fear. And I admit that I don't know what you carry in here this morning. What you're taking into December with you that you have fears about. I'm sure that they are very real and very serious. I can say generally that I know we live in an era or a period of time that's filled with turmoil. Our nation is divided on every issue. Our uh, federal government is at odds with one branch investigating the other. We have this campaign season that uh, both sides are running based on fear and based on the blame game. On the global scale, we have um, nations that are trying to enhance their nuclear capabilities. We have the one country, two system um, arrangement of home, Hong Kong and China that's on the brink of collapse. And we have the United Kingdom that's in a tug of war with the European system. And so there's are real reasons to have fear and despair, but I imagine your reasons for fear are much personal, much more personal, much closer to home. Some of them probably much more imminent as far as the reality of what might happen. So real reasons for fear, but the message from heaven in the midst of our despair is do not fear. So how do we do that? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that most of the problems that we face are due to the fact that we listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, uh, she's got it okay because she talks to herself all the time, right? So the point is here is that he says when you wake him in the morning, you can listen to whatever your thoughts are telling you. Perhaps it's about, you know, problems from yesterday. Maybe it's about problems that could potentially happen tomorrow. You can listen and you can feel horrible or you can talk back to those thoughts. You can remind yourself of what's true, of who you are, of who God is and what he's done. Psalm 42 presents a man who is prone to depression. His spirit is, is uh, crushing him because of the fear that he has. He says in Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? And then he stands up and he speaks to the fear, speaks to himself. And he says, now listen, i got something to say, and this is how he concludes the verse. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him For the help of his presence. So what kind of fears do you carry into December this morning? Well the message from heaven is do not be afraid. Sometimes you just have to speak to your thoughts. To remind them of who you are and who God is. So God first extends hope through divine comfort. He also extends hope through prayer. Let's look again at verse 13. Where it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah.'" For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now, some of you understand exactly what's being communicated by this word petition. We are not given all the details, but we can imagine that Elizabeth and Zacharias have prayed over and over and over again this prayer for a child. Now, we can be callous sometimes and say that that was a much more serious issue in a different era, but I know that there are people probably here in this room joining us online or by television, or you have friends that have dealt with the seriousness of that issue. And it's deeply painful. So I'm sure that Zacharias and Elizabeth offered that petition through tears. I imagine sometimes it was through anger and through frustration. Something they perhaps had also just given up on, an outdated petition. But on this day, when God, who has been silent for 400 years, speaks, begins to speak, the message that he shares with Zacharias is that your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. And in the days before a sonogram, he said he will be a son. You can already know that. And the problem that uh, new parents deal with of arguing over the child's name, he says, I'll solve that too, and he names him. He said, you'll call him John. Now, as much as it must have offered reassurance to Zacharias, to have Gabriel standing here and know that God was giving him a son. The way that we really see hope in this account is through Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayers. That's what hope looks like because I cast the line and I expect something to be out there to bite. Karl Barth is one of the great theologians of the 20th century, and he's credited with saying, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. I'm going to read that to you again. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. We live in an era where we could just throw our hands up and say we don't know what to do. Or we could go to the one who has the ability to intervene and change things through prayer. You know, where you turn to in times of trouble really shows what you hope in. So sometimes we hope in a person, maybe a political figure. Sometimes we hope in ourselves and our own ability, or we hope in another person. My daughter Amelia, when she's in trouble, she looks for mommy or daddy because she hopes mommy or daddy can make it all better. Well, as children of God, we are invited to go before our heavenly father who has the ability to make it all better, and we do that through prayer. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That's the command of scripture. So for me, the most powerful statement in Gabriel's words to Zechariah are this, your petition has been heard. I think there are many days where that would just be enough for me. I don't need an answer, I don't need a yes, I don't need a miracle just to know that there, with confidence, that there is a great big God out there who hears my prayers and is interested in what's on my mind. Let me ask you a question. How different would your prayer life be if you prayed with confidence that God was actually listening? Now, I know we all believe that. We all say, I know God hears my prayers. But the problem is, I don't think that we've always prayed like that sometimes we pray just to hear ourselves talk because we know i'm supposed to pray so i'll just pray sometimes we pray for other people to hear us and where we get real concerned about the grammar and making sure we get the names and the requests right and make sure we do it in the right order when we pray sometimes we pray uh, you know i pray with my kids so that i can teach them it's a regular habit but sometimes i'm doing it just for that not because i believe that god is listening we pray as a church for the needs of people in our congregation and our community because we know we're supposed to. But do we always pray as if God is listening? When you pray, do you pray as if God can hear you? As if God cares? And if God can do, as if God can do anything, you ask him to do. Prayer is our way of challenging the status quo of this out of control world. If the world is in disarray, then we rebel against it by clasping our hands and taking to our knees. Well, God extends hope through divine comfort and by hearing our prayers. But God's peace people also have hope as they recognize that God has sovereign control over this world. Look at verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what the angel of the Lord is describing here is that he is to be a Nazarite. That was a religious vow that uh, someone could take. Really, parents would make it for their child and then raise their child to live by it, where they would abstain from certain things in order to make themselves more available or to demonstrate deeper commitment to the Lord. And so John was to be a Nazarite, and he was. Secondly, the angel says that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even when he's in his mother's womb. Of course, we see that, right? Whenever Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John, and she says that the baby leaps within her because the Holy Spirit recognizes, within John, recognizes who is here. But what we see happening here is that the Holy Spirit, who has essentially been inactive for 400 years in an obvious way among these people, is now coming in a very intense way. And it's to indicate we are entering a very special era where God is stepping into the world. Now, John is also coming as a fulfillment of prophecy. When the angel speaks about John turning the hearts of the people back to God and the children to the Father and the Father to the children, that's fulfillment of prophecy. comes straight out of Isaiah 40 and, of course, in Malachi 4 that we just read earlier. And the bottom line that we see in all of this is God is in control. You think he's been silent. You think he's forgotten you. You think he's abandoned his promises, but God is still in control. He has not stepped away from the helm of the ship. He has not released control in the first century. And beloved, he's not done the same thing this year either. In seasons of despair, biblical hope is available as we recognize God's sovereign control. Paul David Tripp writes, hope is more than wishing things will work out. It's resting in the God who holds all things in his wise and powerful hands. You know, we use the word hope in all kinds of different ways. But biblical hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just expecting somebody to act on the right thing to do. Or to have the right motivation for, what for right action. Biblical hope is this. It is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way you live. A confident expectation of guaranteed result that changes the way you live. We can be confident as the people of God because our hope is not based on ourselves but on God. If it's all up to me, we're up the creek. But if it's dependent upon God, he is a sure foundation. He will not fail. Biblical hope also is expecting what is already guaranteed. We know that God is in control. We know what God is looking to accomplish. We know why he sent Jesus into the world. We know what the end of all things will look like because the scriptures tell us that. So we can trust in him. We hope he will return because we know he will. And he will set everything right. Finally, biblical hope informs the way we live. It's not just lip service. It actually changes the way we live. So that whenever I am going through trials and tribulation, the fruit of the Spirit born in me can be love and joy and peace and patience. Because I trust in a God who's made a promise. I know he'll keep it. And it changes the way that I live. So God extends hope through divine comfort in hearing our prayers and through his sovereign control. You know, I think it's important to remind ourselves, though, that Zacharias was not a perfect man. You'd think, well, he was a priest, he did everything right. But remember, if you keep reading the passage, Zacharias actually says, well, how can I know this is true? <laughs> of course, Gabriel's an angel standing there, and you would be like, uh, look around, you know? And he says to him, he says, because you have doubted, you're gonna, you're gonna be mute. You're not gonna be able to speak until the day that John is born. I'm Gabriel who stands in front of God. Why would you not believe me, is what he says. Now, I'm not gonna beat up Zacharias too much. You know why? I do the same thing. I doubt the Lord even though he comes through every time. See, in the end, God kept his promise. Zechariah and Elizabeth had a son. They named him John. He was the prophet, the voice calling in the wilderness to prepare ye the way of the Lord. And following him, Jesus comes. See, that's not just a fable. That's a true story. And it's not ultimately about a baby boy who was born in Bethlehem. It's about a savior who entered into the world. Jesus was born so that he might die. And he did die. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He was resurrected from the grave, giving us hope of eternal life. Our own resurrection and life with God forever. And it comes by simply by believing, by placing faith and trust in him, by hoping in him. So as you struggle with fears during times of trouble, turn first of all to Jesus. Because he offers freedom from fear. Then demonstrate your hope. In God, by being faithful in prayer and then trust in God's sovereignty. In a time of darkness and in hopelessness, God counters human despair by giving us hope. Our Father in God, we thank you at this time of year that we have this sure reminder that you have not forgotten us. You have not left us on our own. And so God, even now, as you speak to our hearts, we pray that you would apply that hope to us. And God, help us be prepared to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. Some of you need to respond to that free gift of salvation. Some of you need to respond to joining the church and others, maybe it's in following believers' baptism. Whatever it may be, say yes to the Lord today. So I'm going to invite you to stand. As our choir sings, I'll be down front. You respond. won't take but just a second I'm just having you seated since I'm on the floor it took me a while to get down here it's a little bit further than you think it is uh, just a reminder uh, our Christmas pageant if you can't tell is about to take place and see uh, Steve, y'all giving away thousands of tickets out here and so are there any tickets available yet still we
1: well, there are Sunday after Saturday at 2 is gone Sunday at 4 may close to gone we'll have to check those after uh, the online tickets the past several days so there are some tickets for Friday evening and Saturday evening, so I, I would not wait, though. I anticipate we're going to give them all out.
0: Well, the, the, of course, it's a great event you want to be here, but the best thing is it's a great opportunity to invite folks, um, especially those maybe who uh, might, would rather watch the worship service from home, but you want to invite them to church so they can be a part of this, and of course they hear the gospel as a part of the Christmas pageant. So go ahead and get your tickets for that. Uh, that's uh Of course we're ticking much closer to that we also have come to the end of the year Uh, we've got one more month December 1st is today and uh, it takes all of us uh, giving and being faithful in uh, our offerings for us to be able to close the books like we should at the end of the month and so I just want to remind you of that as you uh, pray and as you seek the Lord on that uh, that you would be faithful in giving of course we have the pledge cards out there for with faith uh, which is the capital campaign that we entered at the beginning of November and will continue for the next 18 months um, also of course the Lottie Moon offering that was mentioned that's a great way uh, for our church to be a part of worldwide missions. I read that uh, it's an average of $62,000 through the IMB uh, with a Lottie Moon offering for us to be able to fund one family unit and so our goals right there and we always exceed it and so you continue to give uh, towards Lottie Moon this time of year. Uh, the biggest Christmas gift of all is the Lottie Moon offering. So uh, college students there is a Bible study and free lunch for you just over in 1420 if any of you have prayer needs, we have some deacons down here with red badges who will love to pray with you um, if you have those needs. But let me invite you to stand, and I will pray our benediction we and will be dismissed. Now, Father, we pray that you would just uh, shine your light on us and in us, God. Father, help us to replace all of that fear with your hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray.